Hello, folks. Good morning. Welcome to the fellowship. Good to, glad to be here. I hope. Oh, this morning we're starting Philippians chapter two. Going to look at the first four verses here, and uh, this, even though in our English text is several different sentences in Greek, this is all one long sentence. So, yeah, it's a, it's it's a lot there, and uh, and it's a. It's an if-then statement. So Paul starts out, um, you know, full, I don't know, cards on the table for you this morning, not burying the lead, any of that stuff. Uh, it's all one sentence, and it's a big conditional if-then statement. So uh, we're kind of familiar with those in our common English language. Uh, like we might say, you know, we might make a deal with ourselves. Like if I go for a walk, then I can have dessert. You know, we might bargain with ourselves in that way. Or we might say, you know, to our spouse or somebody, if... If you do the dishes, I'll take out the trash or, you know, something like that. But this is in Paul's if-then statement. It's it's more of like, if any of these things are true, then go and do this. Or you must go do this. Or if these things are true, then you must do this. And here's how. So he's going to explain that to us. And we're going to look at that. And then next week, we'll look at verses 5 through 11 and see the why. So this week, it's, if this is true, you must do this. And here's how. And the next week, we'll talk about why. So, uh, 2, 1 through 11 is all one big, uh, it's not one big sentence, but it's all one big text that should be taken together, but there's just too much. And really, 5 through 11 might be too much for one sermon in and of itself. And that's, it's going to be a lot. So, uh, but it's, it's a good text. So there's, uh, and we'll, we'll probably talk about this again next week, but there's four different Christolog great Christological passages in the New Testament. Um, there's the prologue to John's Gospel, John 1, 1 through 14. There is um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is another one that really talks about, you know, all these passages talk about the nature and person and work of Christ. And so Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which is the big one we're going to talk about next week. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20 is another one, and then Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Those are the four big ones, and uh, next week we're going to talk about one of those. So it's, it's exciting, I think. So, um, so yeah, chapter 2, 1 through 4, one long sentence, one long conditional sentence, and an if-then statement. Um, and it's all about having the same mind, being like-minded. That's our instruction, and so it's going to talk about you know the instruction for that and the means and how we can accomplish that. So, um, and it's all about unity, being like-minded, being unified as a body of believers. Um, and there's a lot of things in, not just in the church, but just in society that separate us, that cause divisions out in society. I don't know if you remember years ago, there was a big debate over a, a dress. It was either blue or it was gold. I don't know if you remember the dress. You saw it. It was out on social media everywhere. It was a blue dress, um, but some people thought it looked gold. Um, I, I don't have a picture of it or anything. But, huh? Oh, it was periwinkle? Was that what you said? Periwinkle. Okay, so it was blue, basically. Blue is periwinkle. And it was not gold. I know that. But some people, when they saw it, just how their eyes work and their brain, everything, looked at it and saw that it was gold. And I don't understand those people at all. Uh, a little bit more recently than that, there was the. There was an audio clip, um, and you either heard Yanni or you heard Laurel. And I don't know what you heard, if you heard that or not. 
when I first saw it, you know, I think a friend of mine posted it on social media, and I clicked it to listen to it, and I heard clear as day, Yanni. And then I went to, you know, comment or something. Oh, I definitely heard Yanni. It's Yanni. I don't know how you could hear anything else. But then another friend of mine had previously commented to it and said, it's Laurel. And I was like, I trust that person. I was like, there's no way they heard Laurel. So I went back and I clicked it again. And I heard Laurel. And every, I mean, we, I think we listened to it a year or two ago. Again, we went and found that clip and I heard Laurel as plain as day. And I just, you know, I don't know how that can do. Um, a, a more recent sort of division is in the world, are there more doors or wills? So that was a big debate online and in the Twitter worlds or whatever, but people were discussing, are there more wills in the world or are there more doors in the world? And I was a door person, 100%, and then I started thinking about more and more, and I think I'm going more toward a will, I'm more of a will guy now. So anyway, you think about like all the hotel, this is just one example, all the hotels in the world, there's a door for every room, right? There's probably two doors because you're probably going to have a bathroom door. Uh, some of them might even have a closet door. You might have a door on the front of your refrigerator if you have a hotel with a refrigerator. But every hotel room also has, most likely, has a willy chair in there. And there's at least four wheels on those willy chairs. Some willy chairs have five or six wheels. So, and then Legos really put me over the top as a wheel guy. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Lots of things that break us down in society. Bigger issues are like generate generational issues. Um, the boomers and the millennials like to you know, bicker back and forth and, and poke fun at each other on different things. And I'm just a, a Gen X guy, like kind of thinking I've got the best of both worlds here. Um, so that's one thing. And I'm not even going to get into politics, but we, we all know the breakdowns that politics can have and can't even discuss things anymore. Uh, race, gender, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those things do creep into the church today. Even this week, uh, people in the Southern Baptist Convention were trying to redefine a certain statement, a certain article from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 edition that uh, gave, showed how you know they're trying to redefine the language in there to say, no, this show, this is proof that women can be pastors, and um, they're trying to redefine that language to mean this and. Um, so that's a big thing. So the, those kinds of issues creep into the church today, and uh, it's nothing new. Obviously, it was happening even back in Paul's day. And so Paul writes, and we talked about this last week, so Paul writes about how we must be unified. And we think about how the church in Philippi got started. You have a uh, woman who sold purple, a rich woman who sold purple, a demonic girl who got saved, and then the Philippian jailer. Three people from totally different worlds that... If anybody needed unity, it was going to be them, right? And you just have, as the church grows, more and more, it's, there's more uni, unity needed. And so uh, Paul's, you know, he addresses that. He, he, we talked last week about how we're to stand firm in the gospel, be in one spirit, one mind, contending side by side and contesting side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that's it. The gospel is the thing that unifies us, is the thing that connects us as a body of believers, and so it means we need to keep the main thing the main thing, and we need to be constantly doing like a theological triage. So triage is like when you go to the ER, um, there's tree, they're, they're assessing people's needs based on the severity, and you have to figure out who needs the care first, right? Who needs, 
who's in most imminent need and then you treat that person first you know if somebody has like a headache you might give them a ice pack and go have them sit over there if somebody has like a bullet wound or something you're going to probably attend to them first right and so um we as a body of believers as christians not even as the leaders within the church just your everyday christian i think it's important for us to constantly be doing theological triage for us to um constantly asking ourselves questions like is this a primary issue or is this a secondary issue or is it secondary importance or is it tertiary issue um, fortunately orthodoxy allows us to have a wide spectrum of different beliefs we can uh, we have a wide spectrum of there's there's wiggle room within um, orthodoxy um, so to speak so uh, the the main thing is like keeping the main thing the main thing the go, the gospel related issues is this a salvific issue meaning is this if if I don't believe in this can I still be saved or if I believe in this does that you know exclude me from salvation so if it's is it a salvific issue are there salvific consequences to it um, so that's that would be our primary issues if it's not an issue that um, takes away from the nature of God then it's probably a secondary issue so we got to think about what are the primary issues the secondary issues and then um, you know, a, a secondary issue might mean we're not worshiping in the same building as those people, but we're still having fellowship with them, right? There's, we would still say, well, we still think they're saved. They just choose a different viewpoint, and so we're going to worship in a different house than those people. But we're still going to contend for the gospel, the overall gospel with those people. Um, and then uh, third-tier issues or tertiary issues... Um, you know, like, what are our views on certain theological issues? What are our views on those things? Um, you know, some of us in eschatology or end times events, we might be a post-tribulation view or pre-tribulation or all-millennial or, or whatever, but fortunately, orthodoxy allows for all those different types of views. Or, you know, if we're talking about creation, it might be, you know, you might have a young earth view and somebody else might say well what about the day age theory these are all like theories on like how was cre how was everything created and so what is the length of time it took and things and so the bible is not 100% clear on those things um, and we can still worship under the same roof as those people uh, we just sort of agree to disagree those aren't issues that the bible is 100% clear on so we we can view those things um, i remember when I was in junior high, I'd heard about this church split, and it was just it was just an awful church split. It wasn't at my church, but it was another church, um, and it was like it was bad. It was it was a bad split. Like families that were in that church, uh, one you know people, some people in that family went one way, some people went the other way, and it was bad. Like it split the family apart. Like they were no longer doing Christmas together over this this issue, and I was thinking, man, that must have been some serious you know biblical issue and it turns out it was over the color of the carpet in the church they were replacing the carpet and they some people wanted this one color carpet and it wasn't going to match the pews so they they were like you know there was just this it caused this division and so to me it's like we need to not concern ourselves so much about preferences and things and let those things sort of fly by because that's not what we're here for and, and Paul addresses this here he says this is not what you're here for you're here for the sake of the gospel and that's 
um, really what he says, um, even though we have chapter breakdowns in our English text, the Greeks doesn't have a chapter breakdown. So his thoughts that he's talking about, verse 27 through 30, goes right into what he's talking about in chapter 2. It goes So last week's sermon flows right into what we're talking about this week. So the overview is you know, what we need in the church, verses 1 through 5, here in chapter 2, uh, we already have in Christ. And we'll look at that next week. And it all kind of flows together. So let's go ahead and read um, the text, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we'll really get into it. So let's, let's, let's read this. It says, uh, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy, and be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or, or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat others, sorry, should be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement from Paul um, and this reminder to, to be unified people. And Lord, I pray where we lack unity, you will unify us. And where we're letting uh, certain preferences and uh, maybe third tier issues get in our way of having strong unity, Lord, I pray you will change our hearts and, and break us down and allow us to be more accepting of, of other people's uh, preferences and things and, um, and humble us. Um, as your text says, for us to be humbled. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, I'll say it again because it, it's good. Um, when you see therefore in the Bible, you should look and see what is it there for. I don't know if you've ever heard that. So this starts out with therefore, and obviously that's based on what he's just said. This verse is 27 through 30. And really all of chapter 1, and we'll look back at that throughout this text, um, but this is, this is what he's talking about. He's, he's already told us, and I, I touched on it, he's already given us this encouragement that uh, we need to conduct ourselves manner worthy of the gospel of Christ um, so that we can tend, uh, we can stand firm, contend together, side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, not being intimidated by our opponents because, um, you know, our contending for the gospel, it's a sign of destruction for our opponents, but it is... Um, a sign of you know us for God, you know our salvation, a sign of our salvation, which is from God. And so, and then he verse twenty nine and thirty are are great when he talks about you know we says for it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ but also to suffer for Him, since you're encountering the same conflict that you saw me face and now hear that I'm facing. Basically, they were facing this persecution that they saw Paul face, and then also. You know, have heard about him continuing to face as he's in prison here, and so that's what that's what this is there for. Therefore, and you can hear Paul pleading in verse one here. He's really pleading with them, and he's saying, "If there's any encouragement in Christ," and I, I like the way the New King James puts it because it adds "if" in there a lot. It says, "If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit." If any affection and mercy, it's just if, if, if. So this is our if statement we talked about. And he's really pleading with, if any of these things are true, which emphatically these things are true, there is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort provided by love. Um, that We do have 
fellowship in the Spirit, and we do have affection and mercy for one another, uh, for Christ and for one another. And so he's going to go on and say, verse 2, complete my joy. So this term, encouragement in Christ, uh, it can be translated several ways. The New King James translates it, consolation in Christ. Um, but it can be translated stimulus, appeal, comfort, encouragement, exhortation. Um, similar phrase as to this is in Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. Let me read that. Similar phrase about Paul talking about our attitude that brings about unity. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every, every effort to keep the unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you too were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So Paul uh, is encouraging there in the, in the Ephesian church as well to have this unity, this humility, gentleness, making every effort effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, very similar to this text here. Now, in Christ is like Paul's favorite way to identify believers. We are in Christ. We're in Christ. We're a body of believers. Uh, we must remain in this vital union with Christ. Um, the scripture reading that Aaron read earlier about you know Christ being, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, one of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John. Um, we're to be in Christ, and that, I think it's a perfect picture for being in Christ is the vine and the branches um, illustration that Jesus uses. And then um, even you know this verse 29 we looked at earlier, for it has been granted to you not only to believe in, in Christ, but also to suffer for him. So we have this belief in Christ, but we've also been called or granted to suffer for him. Um, and then he talks about if there's so any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love. Uh, we definitely have comfort provided by love. Um, earlier in Philippians, verses 7 and 8, he talks about it. It says, For it is right to think about, for it is right for me to think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. For God is my witness, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul longed for them. Um, he, he had a strong emotional connection to them, and he longed for them, and that was a comforting thing for the church in Philippi. They, they had a strong connection to him as well, and they knew not just between them and Paul, but one another. Other people in the church had this comfort of love that was provided to each other as well. So there, was com there is comfort provided by love, and there is fellowship in the Spirit. This fellowship, this idea of koinonia, we talked about it before when we, when we were in verses 3 through, I believe it was 11, what we talked about. But um, in verse 5 specifically, he says, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then again in verse 27, he says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we are gospel partners. This idea of being 
having this fellowship or this koinonia. We are gospel partners together with with Paul, but also with Christ um, and in the Philippian church with one another. And we, as this in this church, in the fellowship of truth, we are gospel partners together. So there is fellowship in the Spirit, and there is affection and mercy. I don't know if you all remember back when we were... Um, you know, talking about chapter 1, verse 8, it says, For God is my witness that I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, that that affection is, the literal is talking about our bowels, like from the depths of who we are in our being is this affection. So Paul is saying, from the bottom of my heart, essentially, the deep down bottom of his heart, essentially, is is how he has this affection for them. And I'm sure, you know, they not only had affection for Paul, I mean, they were continued supporting him, sending Epaphroditus to him and everything else, but no doubt they had affection for one another as well. And mercy. And mercy is, you know, this idea of compassion and mercy. Paul uses this, for, this term uh, several times. Um, one, to describe God's character as being a merciful God, but also to describe how Christians ought to treat each other. Um, God desires to produce his character or, or his image in, in his children, in us. And so the, the restoration of God's image that was lost in the fall is the purpose of Jesus' coming. And this compassion, this mercy and this compassion that, that God has for us, um, we should also emulate that in our relationships with each other as well. So Paul gives us this encouraging reminder um, of the blessings that we enjoy before he gives the next um, part, which is the exhortations. So he says, If any of this is true, any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy. Complete my joy by being, um, by, and be of the same mind, by having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one purpose. So Paul wants us to complete his joy. Um, you know, we're... When we were kids, I think the version of this as, as kids, when we were children, we would have said, I'll be your best friend, right? I remember saying that as kids, and so I'll be your best, you do this for me, I'll be your best friend. You know, we would say that a lot, and you hear kids say that nowadays too. I'll be your best friend if you'll give me this, if you'll do this, or come over here and swing with me, I'll be your best friend, you know. And so that, that to me is a very simplified version of saying what Paul is saying here. If any of this stuff is true, you will complete my joy by doing these things. And so that's a very, uh, again, very simplified way of looking at it. Um, but, you know, for Paul's joy to be complete, they they didn't just esteem Paul, but they had affection for him. They they loved Paul, and they wanted they wanted him to be joyful. And he's he's communicating to them not only... Am I sorrowful when I hear of issues that you're having? Not only does that hurt my heart and hurt my spirit, um, when I hear that you're you're suffering, you're being persecuted, whatever they're going through, but when you're when you have stuff to rejoice in, I'm also rejoicing with you as well. And so he's he's given this encouragement here: complete my joy. And the way you do that, the way you complete your joy, is by being in the same mind, having the same love. Third uh, John. Verse 4, there's not really a chapter, but 3 John, there's only one chapter. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are living according to the truth. Um, 
So he has no greater joy than to hear that his children are living according to the truth. And this idea of being of the same mind, having the same love, being united in the Spirit, having one purpose, this speaks more of our overall attitude of being like-minded, um, being and the, there's not a good English phrase for this, but to say that we're we're to be like-attituded, have the same attitude toward how we do things as a church, how how you function as a church, and your attitude toward advancing the gospel should be the same. We should be like-minded in a way where we're same attituded. It's more than just the way we think about things. It's our attitude toward things. So we should have the same attitude, having the same love, being united in the Spirit, and having one purpose. And in verse 3, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. So our motivation shouldn't be selfish ambition or vanity. Um, I really like the way, and this is probably the only time you'll hear me say this, but I really like the way the NIV puts this. Um, it's, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Uh, the word for conceit here is, it, it can really be translated vainglory. And so it's like a um, vain conceit is a good way to put that. Um, so we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, this says, or you know, my, my version, the New English translation just says vanity. Um, some versions just say conceit. Some versions say rivalry even. And so uh, for us to be... Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vainglory or vain conceit, um, in the in the context here says, um, you know, whatever the selfishness or vain conceit the Philippian church might have been dealing with, um, you know, because there's he's already talked about how they're facing persecution and everything, and Paul is saying even in this moment of you facing persecution. Don't don't approach it with selfish ambition. Don't approach it with this vain conceit. Um, but consider others as more important than yourself. Um, and that's just an insane thing to think. Of. Like they're facing this horrific persecution, and he's saying, "Don't do it selfishly." And that's just insane to think about. Instead, he tells us, "In humility, we should be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself." Um, humility was not uh, sought after virtue in the Greco-Roman world. That was not something that people uh, normally sought after. Christ uh, made it a unique aspect of his own life, and he called his followers to em emulate that. Humility is esteemed in the Old Testament. You know, that's something in Old Testament times. Uh, humility was a virtue we should strive for. But in, in the background for the Philippian church in this Greco-Roman world, Humility is not something you would want to try to achieve, uh, try to be a humble person. That was not it. Um, and we see it, you know, in our context, we in our culture today, you know, we as Christians value people that are humble people. Um, but what we see out in the world today, a lot of people don't value that. They don't want people that are humble. It's the, the person that um, is most entertaining or whatever is the people that we... Uh, put up on pedestals oftentimes. So, um, I've told you um, a few stories about my time as doing the internship at Sky Ranch back in the day. Um, 
one thing I didn't tell you is how, how we were chosen to be interns. So we all had to apply, and the internship was retreat season, so non-summer months. We'd go basically into summer camp in the middle of August through the beginning of summer camp the next May. And, uh, and, and most of who worked as interns were people that had come and worked at summer camp. So during summer camp, we were all applying to do this internship. And the way they told us who made the internship is one Sunday, and Sundays at, at summer camp is when all the kids are getting dropped off and they come and get picked up on Saturdays. But Sundays, they're all being dropped off. So it's, it's busy. You know, you're welcoming campers and greeting parents and things, um, or you're running luggage. I was not a counselor in the cabin with the kids. I worked lakefront. So on Sundays, I, was, I would either run luggage or I would be out on a sailboat or a jet ski just kind of entertaining the, the guests as they were driving across by the lake or whatever. So, um, you know, I get this, I'm running luggage that day and I get this, this brown box, this cardboard cube box. And, um, I have to, you know, I have these instructions to carry it with me all week and don't acknowledge that you have it. And next Sunday at 10 PM, you can open it. And I was like, what the heck, you know, um, my friend Jason was out on a jet ski that day and they rode out to him on a jet ski and gave him his box. So he's like, what am I supposed to do with this box out here on this jet ski? Uh, my other friend Lance, he got his box and he was going on vacation that week. So at least he didn't have to carry that around camp with him all week and, and not acknowledge that he even had this box. Um, people would ask us, well, why do you have that box? And we'd say, what box? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but Lance went on vacation and he was from Louisiana. So as he's driving down Interstate 20, Going faster than he should, he gets pulled over. And it was late at night because he had to wait till you know, all the parents had left and everything before he was able to leave. And so he gets pulled over, and this cop looks in the back of his car and says, well, what's in this box? And he hasn't opened He can't open the box until the next Sunday night, right? He doesn't know what's in the box. He's like, well, I don't know. And it's just more and more suspicious for this cop. And finally, the, the police officer says, do you mind if I open this box? And he's like, I don't care if you open it, but you can't tell me what's in it. And it's, I mean, if you're if you're a police officer, it's like red flags to the nth degree. So the cop opens the box up, and there's a piece of paper sitting on top with instructions for what to do with the stuff in the box. And the cop just laughs and puts it back. He's like, All right, man, you're good to go. I don't know if he gave him a ticket or not, but at least he knew that he wasn't running drugs in this box. He doesn't know what's in it, you know. So the next Sunday, we finally opened our boxes. And there's like a caught, you know, Skyrange coffee mug and a cube of like little, you know, sticky notes or something, and um, a book we we're supposed to have read before August got here. And then there was two T-shirts in the box, two plain white T-shirts. Um, they're similar to this T-shirt that's going to be on the screen. Uh, this is Herschel Walker. He was not one of the interns, but um, he's got this shirt that says Team Me on it. We were the retreat team, so our shirts actually said Reteam Me. And I looked everywhere for a picture of one of us in our shirts, could not find it. Um, but this is the concept of the shirt. The team's got to become greater, and we, the me's, got to become smaller. So that's the concept behind our shirts, right? So we're given two shirts that said, Read Team Me on them. And we wore them every Tuesday and every Thursday. And much like the box that we weren't allowed to recognize what, what box, you know, we, when we were asked, what does this shirt mean? What we were told to say, it was the instructions on the piece of paper, was we were to say, I'm here to serve and not be served, and to consider others more important than myself.
And so we said that multiple times a day, every Tuesday and every Thursday when we wore those shirts all summer long for the rest of the summer. And, um, you know, after a while, some people, you know, just heard us say it and they were like, I don't know, what, what does that mean? You know, so they stopped listening to us. Other people said, oh, they have to say this every time I ask about the shirt. So they would ask us about it a lot. And so, you know, when you start saying that phrase, I come to serve and not be served and consider others more important than yourself so much, um, it, it was almost like a, our motto or a mantra or something that we were saying it so much. We were like, if I don't really live this, I'm kind of a liar, you know. So we started kind of living that. And it, and it was it was interesting how that worked. We were conditioned to not just say it, but it started affecting our, our lifestyle, how we were living. We're living out that mindset that we came to not be served, but to serve and to consider others more important than ourselves. Um, now, even, you know, feeling like I have this very, you know, humble thing, I would say probably my humility is the thing I like most about myself. Even though I had this very humbling experience where I, I not just said that all the time, but started living like it, um, my selfishness still would creep in. Years later after that, um, there would be certain like social situations where, you know, if I I would work my friends and I would I would arrange plans and things where I got to do what I wanted to do. And it was like I, I just maybe I had in my mindset if, you know, I didn't make the plans, I didn't organize it just the way I wanted it to be, then it wasn't going to be a good experience. I, I don't know what my thinking was, but I would I would go out of my way to to do that. So my selfishness, my selfish attitude would rear its ugly head in those situations. Um, but you remember our acronym for joy, Jesus, others, yourself. Put Jesus first, think about others second, think about yourself last, and that will bring about joy in our lives. Um, others is, is here, right? Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. And then verse 4, he continues the thought. Each of you should be concerned should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. I read verse 5. I wasn't supposed to do this next week. Forget I read it. But verse 4, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. Um, we got to take care of ourselves first. It's the idea of like when you get on a plane and they're making the announcements and they say in the event of emergency, the oxygen mask will descend from above you. Secure your own mask before you try to help anybody else around you, right? You got to take care of yourself first before you can help others. And this concept is uh, throughout scripture too. First uh, Timothy 5.8 says, but if someone does not provide for his own, especially his own family, he has denied the faith and it is worse than an unbeliever. And then Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay, pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted too. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So... Um, there's a there's a book called Habitudes by a guy named Tim Elmore, and in this book he takes it's you know different images that represent a, a habitual attitude we should have, an attitude that should become a habit in our lives. And one of the pictures is a picture of a starving baker, 
and he tells a story about imagine if you discover this new bakery and this this baker just has a different recipe for making his confections or whatever and they're just they're just delicious and it's like you love it so you start going there every morning on your way to work you're going to this bakery and before long word gets out and there's a line out the door and around the corner and so this baker is just just really rocking it you know he's he's making good business um, and you, you're there every morning on your way to work getting your your stuff your bagels or whatever it might be and you start noticing man this guy's doing it all you know he's in the back cooking he's running up front serving people he's doing everything and then as the weeks go by you start noticing this guy is getting skinnier and skinnier and he's getting more weak more weak because the irony is even though he's surrounded by food he's feeding everyone else and he's not feeding himself and so it's the idea of the starving baker or maybe you've heard the story of, the, of how we need to sharpen our axe um, there's a couple of lumberjacks that are going to get in a tree cutting contest and one of them gets out there and he starts cutting down trees and by lunchtime he's fell 16 trees and the other guy's only done four because he took the first couple hours to sharpen his axe and as the day goes on the first guy's axe is getting duller and duller and it's taking him up to an hour to fall a tree and the second guy's just gaining speed by the end of the day he's he the second guy that took the time to sharpen his axe has fell twice as many trees as the first guy so we got to take care of our own needs and so it's not a it's not this concept to just deny ourselves completely is verse four each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest so we should be concerned about our own interests but not only about your own interests but also about the interest of others as well we should concern ourselves with one another's interests um, there was a quote I read I was in high school um, my mom used to get readers digest and I love the jokes and then I'd get done with the jokes and I still have the, the magazine so I'd start looking at the quotable quotes and uh, one of the quotable quotes, and I tried to find it. I always thought it was anonymous. I tried to find it online just to get the right wording. I always thought it was anonymous, and it might have been when Reader's Digest published it, but somebody else came up with, with this quote, and I'll read it to you now. Somebody named Kendall Haley. Never heard of this person, but apparently they're an author. But this is, this is the quote. It's similar enough. It says this, The greatest gift of family life is to be intimately acquainted with people you might never even introduce yourself to had life not done it for you. And that is family. It's a group of people that we would never introduce ourselves to had life not done it for us. Um, had life not introduced us to one another, we might not be acquainted with each other. But we are a church family, and the Christian relationship is, you know, especially in the local church context, is a, is that of a family. It's a covenant, covenantal type of relationship, and we should be uh, we should view each other as a family. Uh, we should build these relationships, and um, it'll take time. Um, we need to be patient with one another throughout the pot process. Uh, we need to be open and honest with each other, just like a family, and we need to be forgiving of one another. Um, you know, as a church family, oftentimes we come to church because we long for community. We want we want community, and you hear people in the world talk about community oh my community is this or my community is not represented here or whatever it is and, and carol and i kind of joke about that sometimes but your people talk about their community but as a church to me community is the the biggest part of what we as a church provide we provide community for believers and and that is the context in which we are called 
As believers, we are called to be in community with one another in the context of our local church gatherings. And so developing a community can be a struggle uh, because we have to let people in. You know, we have to be vulnerable with one another, and we should be vulnerable with one another. Um, there's aspects of our our lives that we're not, you know, it's not a co- comfortable position to be vulnerable, but there's aspects of our life we need to let people in for. Um, and we're, you know, we're gonna be, we're gonna have some disagreements. We're gonna disagree on certain things, and and that's where the theological triage comes in. We have to decide: is this a is this a primary issue that we're disagreeing on right now? Or is this a secondary or tertiary issue? Um, is this something, is this a preference? Um, but we're going to have disagreements, we're going to have disputes, maybe we're going to have knockdown, drag out fights. Um, I don't know. But if we're truly covenantally connected to one another as a community of believers, uh, we're going to share love, as Paul encourages us to here, to share this love, to have this like mindedness, to be unified in our spirit. We're going to share love. Uh, we're going to ask for forgiveness, and we're going to need to offer forgiveness. That's something that we're going to have to do. Uh, we're going to be disappointed by the church. This church is going to disappoint you. I am going to dis. If I have not already, I'm going to disappoint you, and I'm going to have to ask for your forgiveness. I'm going to have to apologize, and I'm going to need you to offer me some forgiveness and give me some grace. Uh, and hopefully, as we as we grow in our relationships with each other and grow in our community together, um, offering that grace and offering that forgiveness will, will be easier. You know, when I offend my wife, she has to forgive me. And the stronger our relationship grows, it's like there's a, a bank with grace in it or something. And, and the stronger our relationship grows, the bigger that grace bank builds. And so it's easier for her, her to offer that grace and that forgiveness to me um, and, and vice versa, too. You know, none of us are perfect. I think, you know, the other thing is we're starting a young adults um, Bible study group, and that's gonna. We need your prayers because that's gonna offer some. There's gonna be conflict involved in that, uh, without a doubt. The the closer we get, and the more not surface level we get, the the deeper we get connected to one another. There's gonna be conflict involved in that, and so we're not a perfect people. None of us are, uh, and we. We're going to need your prayers in that. Any Anything that we do as a church, we're going to need prayers for that. Um, none of us are perfect, but we do serve a perfect Savior. And He offers us... Um, the, he, he tells us, He asks us to be unified. He offers us the, the Spirit to help unify us together. He tells us to be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in the Spirit, having one purpose... And he tells us instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, uh, we should consider in humility, uh, consider others more important than ourselves. We should be concerned not only about our own interests, but about the interests of others. As much as we need to take care of ourselves and take, make sure our side of the street is clean, we also need to look out for others' interests as well. That should be something um, once we have taken care of ourselves, that puts us in a position then to be to concern ourselves with others' interests as well. So let us be a united church. Um, and, and next week we'll look at the why for all of this. So, uh, it should be good. I'm looking forward to that scripture next week too. So let's pray. Close this out. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement. And 
Lord, I pray that you help us be like-minded, help us be Bible-believing Christians that that focus on your word and what your word says. And if it's something that isn't definite in your word, Lord, we, we allow for differences of opinions. And if it's a preference issue, Lord, I pray that we are um, we're open to other people's preferences in the way um, in the way they believe and their thoughts and, and things, Lord. So help us to uh, be like-minded as, as much as possible, Lord, and help us to uh, consider others more important than ourselves. Give us opportunities even this week to uh, spread your word and to share with others, um, considering others' interests, and uh, give us opportunities to share your word through that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.